Episode 83 of Fitness Behaviour of Bevan James Isles, an interview with Krista Scott Dixon. Welcome along to episode 83 of Fitness Behaviour with Bevan James Isles, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness so you can get all the benefits that go alongside it. Welcome along today guys, I've got a, I've got a really cool interview today actually with a lady called Krista Scott Dixon. Now Krista Scott Dixon, as you're going to hear about in the interview, is someone who basically was in the academic world, was being very successful in the academic world and kind of didn't like that world and decided to jump off that kind of world and move into health and fitness. And she does a lot of coaching. Uh, She works for a company called Precision Nutrition. Uh, We don't necessarily talk about nutrition. I kind of said to her before the interview, I'm kind of, the work I do is not so much about kind of nutrition, it's more about you know, behaviors and things like that. So we, I actually, it was funny, I, she lives in Toronto and if, you know, when you do podcasting and you interview people, one of the things you have to do is kind of coordinate time and I'm always looking at time converter on Google and stuff like that. And Toronto is probably the worst place in the world to try to coordinate an interview if you're based in New Zealand. And so it took us a little bit of time to coordinate the time we were going to start the interview. And then the the only time we could actually get was in 11 o'clock on a Thursday night. And then turned out that it, somewhere along the way we'd stuffed up the timing. So the interview didn't really start till about 11.30 and it goes for about 50 minutes. So I didn't get to bed till about 1 and to be honest I was a bit hyped after the interview so I, I didn't get to sleep till about 2 o'clock. So, so luckily uh, my day off work, and Joe and I call it fun day Friday, my, my day off work is Friday. So luckily I got to sleep in on Friday and had my fun day Friday which is kind of a good thing. Uh, so I'm going to get the interview on really quickly because uh, it's, again it's about 50 minutes long. Just one thing I will say. Unfortunately, the Skype in the interview was playing up a little bit, and, I, and unfortunately, I didn't actually under well, realize it was happening until after the fact. And so, well, for some reason, um, my recording device just didn't record. Uh, there was just cutouts here or there, and I've gone through the, the interview, and I've just there was kind of pauses basically. So every kind of every so often there'd be like a, a two to maybe eight second pause, and there's a big kind of silence. So I've gone through and I've edited out all those main pauses pauses but you may you know you may just think that's an odd kind of change in conversation because you know she's probably paused for a few seconds and the conversation comes on from where the pause came back in I'll admit it is a little bit distracting and it's a little bit frustrating because uh, Kirsty has a lot of great insight but it is what it is um, it's definitely worth continuing on listening on because it's a really good interview so sorry about that it's a real kind of technology bummer but at the same time just just so you know it's there, and basically I've, I've edited them all out, so it's you can still continue on, but you might just find at times there might be a little bit of a skip that just seems a little bit odd, And uh, but yeah, keep on listening. Before I do that, uh, just I know last week's show, or the last episode, which is episode 82, I kind of put that challenge out to you guys, and I have to admit I've had a massive amount of feedback on it, people seem to like the idea of that kind of mind challenge that I put out to you guys, so if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that show. And I put this kind of mental challenge that I want you to try to do over the next month. Now, I'm not going to address that in this show because this is the interview show. So next time I do the show, which is the Bevan show, I'll go into that. And I'm going to share some of the feedback I've been getting from you guys. And if you want to share some feedback yourself, you can just flick me through an email at bevanjames.com. But other than that, before we get into that, I just want to thank the patrons. 
and I do have a new patron for this episode, uh, and it is Karina Hirschman. And Karina is actually a lady I've known for for many years. Actually, she joined she joined my gym. Jeez, uh, how long ago is that, Karina? It was years ago. So she joined my gym years ago, um, and uh, and then joined my running group. And uh, Karina's had achieved some pretty amazing goals over the years. She did the New York Marathon, and she was the merchandising, <laughs> the merchandising dream, the merchandiser from the race because she came back from the New York Marathon with every piece of merchandise you could buy for the New York Marathon. I found it quite funny at the time. Karina's this um, very kind of tough woman a very successful woman it's one thing I like about exercise is generally speaking there's a certain type of person who is just trying to get better in life and exercise is just one of the areas that they do that but you could you know you're often fine when you surround yourself with people who put a priority on exercise that they are the people who tend to excel in other areas and Karina's got a very successful career and and all the rest of it, and she's a real example of that, quite a successful woman, but probably more importantly, you know, she's a hardcore exerciser, you're like, God, Karina kills herself, guys, but one of the things I, I admire most about Karina is her love of supporting others, you know, like Karina's always the person who's just there to support others in achieving their goals, uh, on a friend level, even in my running group, she's, you know, she'll come to races if she's been injured, she'll come to races in other parts of the countries, I think she even went and watched New York Marathon with a few of the runners who were doing the race, just because she wanted to support them, and, and she's just one of those people, obviously she gets value from it, but I'm sure those people in her world get the value from the support that she gives to her world and I just think it's a really special part of who Karina is and so um, you know very successful woman pushes hard and the rest of it so I was kind of thinking the idea of lifting higher should be her her um, her nickname because the reason is is that she's always kind of aiming to lift higher within herself but also she helps others to lift higher as well so Karina you are Karina lifting higher Hirschman. Some other patrons of the show who are regular contributors to the show include Brittany McEachin and she's a mystic. We've got Greg Crowley and he's the python. We've got Luke Mayhem Miller. We've got Pick the Silent Assassin to Langford. Actually Pip was doing my RPM class the other night and, uh, and the reason I call her the Silent Assassin because Pip just when she's working she absolutely just blitzes herself and so um, yeah, and she's just head down and working. And, and as I was looking at that, I just thought that's such an appropriate nickname. I've got, two, actually, I said Luke Mayhem Miller before, but I've also got Luke Agent 001. So maybe maybe I give him two nicknames. And then lastly, Kate Southern, and she is the perfect one. Guys, if you want to be a patron of the show, you know what this is all about. It's about supporting me and doing what I'm doing. And it, and it really does make a big difference. Seriously, when I see those patron, you know, that support come through, it really, really, really helps me be able to put more energy into this. Recently, I've been able to start doing the video podcasts as well, or the video clips that I'm doing every other couple of weeks. And the people who are giving me the patronage, they are helping me to do that as well. And um, I just want to be able to create more great content. And I've got some cool ideas moving forward as well. So just the patrons of the show, thank you very much. And for those who aren't, you can go to bevanjamesiowas.com. It's all very clear on the website, so you can just check that out as well. Okay, right, guys, I'm going to get into this interview with Krista. So once again, just one thing. Uh, again, it does cut out a little bit. It is a little bit frustrating, but persevere because there's some really great insight. And she throws a question kind of in the last third of the interview. I can't remember exactly where it was in the interview, but she throws a question, which I just thought was a brilliant question. So um, check it out. Here is Krista. Krista. 
Okay, team, I'm pretty happy to have on a show uh, a pretty phenomenal woman by the name of Krista Scott-Dixon, who's achieved many things. Uh, maybe, maybe a good place to start this interview is, give me a little bit of your history. Ooh, that's always such a big question. <laughs> Where did uh, it begin? I guess the, the, the shortest way to say it is that I am an escaped academic. I used to be a university professor uh, until I realized that academia kind of sucks. And so I walked away from that and uh, um, decided to, you know, I didn't even really decide to pursue a career in health and fitness. It was something I was doing on the side for many, many years, working as a personal trainer in grad school and that sort of thing. So I quit my job in academia and I was like, you know what, I'll just be a personal trainer. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I got hired on with Precision Nutrition and just little stuff at first, you know, was editing their website and their textbook and, you know, and then I started coaching and then I started writing the coaching program. And so it just kind of grew from there. But basically, my history is that I was never an athlete, always an academic, and I sort of found myself in this field of health and fitness, like, almost by accident, really. Why did academic, that would suck? Like, what was so bad about it? Um, if, there, if there are academics listening to this, they will be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, it's, it's a field where there are very high demands, very high expectations, not a lot of rewards and what's really happened is that the modern institution has become very much like a degree factory right so there's a lot of contract labor there's a lot of long hours there's a lot of stress there's a lot of expectations of even unpaid work that you will put in um, and so if you sit down and you look at you know demic it's actually not that great um, and it's a very high I mean you're juggling a lot of things you're often scrambling very competitive job market. So there's just, I don't know, and there's just a very kind of negative vibe permeating institutions these days. I think, you know, in 2016, academia is a lot different than it was, you know, 30 years ago in certain ways. So um, I think a lot of that just, you know, it just makes academics not a great job path for most people. Wow. So, so you kind of, mm -hmm. it, it must have been a, an interesting time in your life to go from this place where, you know, to get to a level where you're a lecturer at a university means you've committed a lot of time and energy, uh, you know, to, to achieve that level, to kind of just cut the cord on that and then to move into a totally different era. What was it like for you at the time? That's such a great question because it really was, uh, I don't want to describe it as traumatic, like that's completely overstating it, but it was one of the only times in my life when I felt I was so forced to make a change, I had to jump without a safety net. Like I, yeah. I literally walked away, like put my resignation letter down and walked out of the building. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I had nothing else, like I didn't have a plan B. Um, my whole life had been kind of working towards this path because my father was a professor, so it was like this is just an odd it was very destabilizing in a way, and um, I had, for a long time, I had sort of a sense of failure, like, oh, um, I had to quit because I couldn't hack it. And now having some perspective and, and time outside of that world, I'm like, no, they're crazy in there. <laughs> so it's, I've come to the place where I'm like, actually, no, it's a dysfunctional environment. And obviously, there are probably little pockets where it does work. And there are many great things about being an academic. Like I loved the flexibility and being able to connect with other smart people who were really interested in stuff. And so there are lots of perks to it, but I think fundamentally it's a dysfunctional place and so when I left it, it was a sort of weird mix of like failure and freedom <laughs> and like oh my god what did I just do um, and and so and of course now you know many years later 
almost 10 years later, I've got a lot more perspective on the situation. So, so you kind of make this big life move, kind of a ballsy move, kind of a scary move, uh, change in identity and all this that comes alongside that. Fitness was the obvious choice or was it just very much just the thing that's going to get me out at this moment? It was there. It was there. Like at the time, I mean, I was, it's, it was, uh, health definitely was something I was always interested in. I was always interested in biology, physiology, that kind of stuff. But really, I didn't get into health and fitness in any kind of serious way until the mid-90s when I was in grad school. You know, I was overweight and I was feeling crummy and, you know, I needed to do something. And so I learned about working out. I learned about nutrition and kind of fixed myself in a way. And so, uh, but it was never like a purposeful career path until, again, I progressed through grad school and I was like, oh, hey, I could make money as a personal trainer on the side. Um, and then it was like an available option after I left academia for a little while because, you know, it, personal training is, is, can, can be a flexible mm. opportunity, right? You're like, you pick up a client here and there and it's an hourly thing and so you're not locked into having a job. You can be self-employed a lot of the time. So uh, it does often offer opportunities that way. And so, yeah, but it was really almost accidental. It wasn't, I, I didn't set out to do this in any kind of way. <laughs> So, so you've been personal. You've been in the fitness kind of game now for you know around ten years. Um, what are the things about that that you find most interesting? You know, like for me, my 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 buzz is always what's the mindset that helps people love exercise forever or love movement and, and a healthy lifestyle. For you, what are those things that that are most appealing and trying to help people create change and be successful? Hmm. For me, I think it's really the project of change itself, right? Because when you pull on the thread of fitness and nutrition, you pull on all these other threads in people's lives. And, you know, if you change people's bodies and you change their wellness and their sense of physical capacity and just the way they feel like in day-to-day -day life, you change their whole experience of themselves, right? And so I think of myself, I mean... 20 years ago when I started really working out seriously, I never could have imagined that I would be where I am now, right? Like right now, I train 15 hours a week. I train MMA and grappling and judo and climbing. Like yesterday, my day was like work all, all in between that, right? And I never could have imagined that I would have that capacity and that skill level to to even like in a million years do that, right? So I think for me, the most exciting thing is changing people's concept of like what they can do, what they're capable of, what it all means, you know, who they are even, right? Because, you know, when I grew up, not an athlete, hated class, like literally hid in the change room gym class, <laughs> uh, had, had numerous failures of, you know, trying to throw a ball and that kind of stuff. So it completely changed my perspective on who I was and what I could do. And that, that for me is really exciting. Okay, so, so you know, that, that, that kind of aspect of change is the thing that really appeals to you the most in the work that you're doing. What do you feel helps people, you know, like you say that I come from a history of not being an exerciser and, you know, I was the kid who didn't want to be into it and then now look at me, I'm doing 15 hours exercise a week. I'm, it's a big part of my passion and not just for myself but in helping others. What are some of the things that you've discovered that have really helped people change? Ooh, that's such a big question. I, I think connecting it to, I mean, there's lots of things, obviously, but I, I think one of the big ones is connecting this change project to something that is meaningful to people. So I think one reason that perhaps 
change projects like a diet or a new workout fail or or don't move forward is because they're disconnected like people are like oh i need to go and work out or i need to lose weight or i need to do this but they're not completely clear on the why right or or why this is meaningful to them um and i think so the first step is really about connecting it to people's values and their their life goals and what is meaningful and relevant to them because otherwise it's this sort of free floating chore that you have to do mm-hmm. uh and wh- why would you do it right it's like it's like if you don't understand why flossing your teeth is a good thing why would you do it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so so really connecting it to salient values i think is the is the first step and w- whether that's i want to be a role model for my kids or i want to do my job better or you know whatever is important to people it's got to start with their fundamental value system more than anything else what well, you know because sometimes it's kind of like that passion question you know you get a lot of people who kind of go i love a passionate life i just don't know what i'm passionate about um you know and and in some ways i always think well are you spending any time trying to find your passion you know some people will listen to you know people like yourself and me and that talk and we talk about these values and passions and stuff like that but they feel lost because they don't even know what that is mhm Yeah, and I I also do wonder if we put the cart before the horse a little bit sometimes with expecting the passion to come first because mm. in my experience what I found is that the action has to come first. I didn't know that I would be passionate about a lot of the stuff that I'm passionate about. I didn't know that I would enjoy judo or grappling or MMA or lifting weights. Like I didn't I didn't know that. I just tried it. And so with a lot of our clients one of the assumptions i think they have is that i have to be motivated first and then i will act and really a lot of the time it's the reverse you act first and then from repeated action motivation grows um start learning a language you're you're just like there's so much that you don't know and it's discouraging and like everything is unintelligible to you yeah. <laughs> you read a newspaper article and you can't make sense of it at all and now i'm at the stage where i'm like oh i can pick out words and i can sort of make sense of things and so but that only came from repeated actions so now i'm super motivated because i can see the progress but that would not have happened if i hadn't committed to this consistent daily action of like just showing up and muddling on through so i think we need to kind of help people understand that there will be this period of just muddling through and if you keep showing up and doing the actions motivation will begin to emerge from that and i think that's kind of cool um you have to stick in the game long enough to make it happen <laughs> so i've been part of the job of the coach is just kind of keeping people in there long enough until they start to feel it and also of course directing their attention to the ways in which it's emerging but but really you know you have to act first and i mean the other piece of that is that people spend a lot of time thinking right and wondering like well should i try this should i try that you know i read this blog and whatever forget about it just go and do something because yeah. <laughs> action is really the only thing that opens up these doors more than anything else as a coach communication is a pretty important part in um are you understanding how to help someone progress forward and also helping them understand the growth that they desire how do you go about your communication in in that kind of role well i think the first thing you have to understand is that you have to work extra hard at communication because inevitably 
there will be miscommunication. Uh, no matter how well-meaning you are or kind or caring or smart or any of that, that anytime you get two people together, there will inevitably be differences in what people hear. Having to work extra hard to make sure that you are understood and that you understand your clients. And, you know, obviously it's going to be just a partial, like you're never going to completely understand another human being. I mean, we don't even completely understand ourselves, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, but just start with the assumption that you may and potentially will not be speaking the same language as your clients. The, the, the words that you use, the concepts that you use, these will likely be different. Um, and so you have to figure out how to meet in the middle. Um, and then you keep assessing that understanding, like you keep testing and testing and testing, you know, did you get that, you know, give that back to me. What, like, what was your sense of what I just said there? You know, you really have to keep testing and, and never assuming that your client actually ever understands you. And that sounds a little bit weird maybe, but I mean, I've seen it happen so many times. We say one thing and we're like, yeah, I totally nailed that. That was so clear. <laughs> and the client goes away and they're like, I don't even know what just happened there. Right? <laughs> yeah. So um, so continually testing for understanding. And then the third piece is uh, using as many forms of communication as possible. So really challenging yourself as a coach to become excellent at multiple forms of communication. So writing well, reading well, um, speaking well, uh, like even stuff like, and it sounds stupid, but like being professional on the phone, right? Being professional on email. So really uh, expecting yourself to be an excellent communicator in all these different domains of communication, visual communication, you know, movement communication, uh, what is your body language saying? What is your facial presentation? Can you make eye contact? So, I mean, you almost have to <laughs> spend a huge amount of time, like outside of whatever you're uh, skilled in, in terms of fitness and nutrition, becoming a communicator, right? Mm. And then, I mean, that does inevitably present to us. It's, um, it, it is interesting, isn't it? Because I often think, you know, like, um, I've got a running business and, and we have lots of coaches working for us and stuff. And, and one thing that I, I try to install in my, my runners and my coaches is that these people want us to be leaders. They want us to stand here and, and have confidence that we believe in what we're doing. And things like the way we communicate gives them trust in us, um, you know, that, that, that it gives someone confidence that they have made the right choice and they actually they'll look to use you better if they believe in you more and that kind of communication is a really important part of that mhm mm mhm mm and you can almost think about it like a performance right like an actor on a stage giving a performance and really think about all aspects of your presentation again your mm -hmm. body language how are you dressed um you know where are your eyes going what is your face saying all of that stuff when when you think about uh regards to the people who have been most successful in change that you've worked with, are, are there some kind of common themes that you see? Change makers are somehow able to connect with people. And there are different ways that you can do that and different groups of people that maybe you have a gift with, right? Like maybe you're great with teenage boys, you know, like football players or something like that. Like maybe that's your population or maybe you're great with middle-aged women who are going through like, you know, everyone sort of has the, the people that they connect best with. But ultimately, I think the people that are the best change makers are really good at somehow connecting with people and making people feel heard and seen and recognized and understood and respected. 
And that's sort of the platform on which change is built. Like it's a funny paradox that we can really only change when we feel fully accepted and we feel fully safe because change is a threat, right? Like no one wants to change. Change is change is damaging and threatening and and destabilizing and and you know wrecks our world so we can only really do it in a meaningful way when we feel like okay you know what this is safe enough to try uh and that comes from being having you know being able to have a really good rapport with the person that is guiding you through the change and feeling like that person really gets me and now I'm willing to go the extra step because that person believes in me and I feel that they believe in me. Mm, that's I love the idea of that I feel accepted by community or, or working with you that's such a it allows me to be free with you doesn't it? Mm-hmm, for sure I don't know it's and it's, it is really a paradox that you know, acceptance leads to change. It's it's kind of funny when you see the shift in clients too, for example, when they come to you and say, here's what I'm doing, right? Here are all the shenanigans that I'm doing. And they expect you to judge them or say, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, I'll say, yeah, that does sound fun. You know, ice cream does sound delicious. <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, but having said that, I probably shouldn't eat so much ice cream. Like it's a, it, it's almost sometimes an immediate shift as soon as you validate what they're doing right now. They're like, yeah, but I could be different. So it can happen almost literally within minutes or, you know, it might take longer than that. But it really is a funny paradox. And I always encourage coaches to go there, like to to have the courage to validate what people are doing right now. And it, again, it seems so counterintuitive and a lot of people don't want to do it, but it really does create an amazing shift in people's willingness to try something else. What are, what are some other things that you believe are really important? Maybe from, like if I'm someone listening to this right now, so we've talked a little bit about the kind of the coach, coach's role, but for those listening who are maybe feeling they want to create some change, earlier on you see that it needs to be meaningful. We need to really understand the why, 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 would you want to, you know, as a mother, I want to be a role model for my children or, or so on. Um, what are some other things that, some ideas or, or kind of strategies that you could kind of share that you think could help people move towards change? Well, actually, it's almost embedded in the question that you're asking there. Uh, a question that I love is, if you were going to start moving in the direction of maybe trying to start changing, notice how this language is very non-committal, right? Yeah. If, you that if we're going to trick you into it. <laughs> what could that look like? And I love that kind of question because it, it, it gives people the idea that change is not something that we do. It's not like flipping a switch. It's something that we move towards. It's like a, it's a process or it's a pathway. Um, and the phrasing of that kind of question lets them imagine things and it doesn't require them to commit to anything. So I'm not saying to them, hey, what are you going to do today? I mean, I could, that might work. But if I say, well, what do you think you might be changing? all of a sudden that sort of takes it into the realm of imagination. They're like, well, I could do this, I could do that. And so they begin to generate these options that they don't feel like they have to do right away. And so they become much more creative, much more imaginative about what they could be doing. Um, and then of course, what obviously happens is that they come up with this list of ideas and then you, you're like, well, you know, given this list of things you mentioned, is there anything here that kind of you think you might you know, want to 
give it a go. And they're like, yeah, you know, having said that, I probably could pack a healthy lunch today. So it's kind of the step of like imagining moving forward, what that could look like, um, generating a bunch of ideas about what, what that could involve in a very concrete way. And then saying, okay, you know what, what's, what idea is speaking to me right now? And really trying to get people focused on what is the easiest? I always say like the easiest, laziest, low-hanging, fruitiest way you could do something. And people are a little bit taken aback by that, I think, because they expect things to be difficult, right? Mm. That fitness has to be hard and depressing. <laughs> you know, eating yeah. healthy tastes bad. And, um, but when you say, like, what's the easiest thing you can do? People are like, oh, well, I could, I don't know, put an apple in my lunch. And you're like, great, do it. You know, and then, then they've taken the action and they can't untake it. So focusing on the easiest is a little bit counterintuitive, but that's one really helpful way. Um, another really helpful thing to do is to start adjusting people's environments. So, you know, if you have a client who's like, look, I just can't, you know, I can't stop eating junk food in my house. I mean, the obvious choice is to say, get it out of the house, right? Mm -hmm. With some negotiation. But like, you really want to try to take advantage of the fact that we are products of our environment. So how can you change could you move your desk by a window so you look outside and see people walking around and think, hmm, I want to do that, right? Like there's all kinds of things that you could do. Get off the bus one stop earlier, walk a little bit, right? So changing your environment I think is a very underrated method of changing ourselves because it requires very minimal willpower. And I always think the, best, or the least willpower you can use, the better. I love, I love both of those and the one the first point you brought up I love well, the thing I love about what you use there is that it gives them the ownership of looking for the change because often people go to coaches PTs mentors almost thinking that they're going to provide the answers and sure there's a level of education that we're there to provide but ultimately we are here to help you find the inner thing that's going to help you change and that kind of that using those types of questions it is about me figuring it out for myself in a way that excites it creates you know it's imaginative and and it's it's quite an empowering way of going about it yeah and it it can be very exciting for the client because it helps them uncover their strengths and their resources right so mm. i don't start with the assumption that you're a failure in your life i start with the assumption that probably most of your life is actually pretty good in some way and so how can we just use those elements that you're already good at right so if you're already busy Maybe you have good time management. Maybe you're organized. Maybe someone schedules your appointments for you. Like maybe you use a calendar. Like there's probably a lot of strengths and aptitudes that you already have that we can simply put into play in a different game, which is, you know, helping you get healthy. So I think, you know, if you move the focus to a strengths focus and a resources focus, and like what do you already have? What do you already have in the toolbox and how can we use that? I think that's much more empowering for people and they get excited about it because they're like, yeah, I am pretty organized or I am pretty driven or I, I love my calendar. I love my phone and my reminders or whatever. And then this just becomes an extension of things that they are good at and you can show them, hey, listen, you're not good at exercise right now. But you can become so if you use your strengths in the service of this goal. And that to me just feels way more appealing, way more inspiring and, and exciting. Well, and it's an important point, isn't it? Because like I think of, you know, like often for people like you and myself, um, we are surrounded with fit people. And then, but a lot of people who aren't exercising, uh, 
it just creates guilt in their life. They just live in guilt and, and bad nutrition. It's just kind of, this is a part of my life that just makes me feel bad about myself. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that actually keeps pushing them away from it because there's that kind of entry point thing that you talked about. Like, let's not make it hard when we start. Let's just kind of, you know, you don't have to be running marathons. It's not the point. We just want to get you moving. Uh, but also, you know, that they, they, they see the only option is to be stupidly fit. And so we keep pushing them away and we just keep making them feel guilty that they're not good enough, which means they're never going to try. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such a key point. And I think perhaps, too, the thing that many fitness trainers fail to appreciate is that they are not the same as their clients a lot of the time. I mean, if you're training athletes, then you might be similar. But, but a lot of the time, we don't have the same interests or background or aptitudes as our client. And we forget that our clients may come to us and feel like they're already insecure walking in the door. They're already anxious and feeling inadequate and feeling crummy. And so if we sit there flexing our abs and asking why they don't eat 10 servings of vegetables a day, um, they're going to like, it's going to just compound that insecurity. So it's like, it's almost, we're almost already at a disadvantage in terms of being fitness and nutrition coaches. And I remember having one experience where I was about to give a nutrition talk to a group of women. um, And one of them said to me, well, I don't want to take nutrition advice from someone who looks like you. Oh, really? By which she meant someone who was pretty fit. Another woman said, well, I don't want to eat this ice cream in front of you. Right? So even before I started talking, (laughs) I was at a disadvantage. Like they already hated me in a way. Yeah. And... That's something to bear in mind. Like your clients may already kind of hate you. And I mean, that's a bit extreme, right? But you may represent the jock who uh, harassed them and bullied them in elementary school. (laughs) They may walk in and see a buff person and be like, oh my God, you're that football player who dunked my head in the toilet when I was in grade two, right? Mm, (laughs) Um, so, So there's that. I mean, it doesn't always happen, but I think... Uh, we forget how uh, intimidating we can be to our clients just because of who we are, you know. And so in terms of to go back to the professionalism question, this is why I always tell people, uh, if you're a trainer, you know, there's obviously kind of fit and healthy, but you shouldn't be walking in there, uh, you know, in like a unitard flexing. <laughs> you should beating people over the head with how buff you are. So it's just like, it's a very, very thin line to walk and it's quite tricky and I, I understand that. And maybe another thing is, is also is for the person who is the client is to start to learn what are my limits around that I that are making me reject the offerings that my, my professionals have. You know, like it is that whole thing of you don't understand because you don't know my life. And in some yeah. ways, if I'm going to go into this this relationship with that, then that's going to work against me being successful in this experience. A hundred percent. And so much of our work is sort of like systematically eroding people's defenses yeah, to change, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and so you'll probably have to work a little harder in the beginning. And then, of course, once you have a good relationship, then things become so much easier, right? So once the person trusts you and says, oh, hey, this guy's not a jerk, right? Mm. Um, Then it becomes much, much easier. So a lot of the work is sort of front end, right? The first few sessions are really, really crucial. You got to have your game on (laughs) in the first few sessions. And then from there, it can really roll out more, more easily. A question I love to ask, and it's it's always a bit of a tough question, but is, you know, of course, for for people who aren't 
you know, in your position, uh, they often, I often think fitness professionals get more credibility because they do something that most people find hard. So for example, um, you know, like, we do the thing that most people struggle with, so they think we're bloody amazing, but it's actually not that hard for us to do because we love it and we have that lifestyle. So we kind of get an unfair level of credibility from society because it's not as hard as what they think it is for us. Does it, do you kind of get that? Oh, 100%. And I think that is particularly true of uh, younger male trainers. Because, you know, physiology being unequal, <laughs> uh, it's a lot easier for younger guys, let's say in their 20s, to be lean, to be muscular, to be mm. visibly fit, right? And, and so they often think, well, this came fairly naturally to me or, you know, they, they represent something that may or may not be attainable for other kinds of clients, right? And so it's, it's definitely something to be quite mindful of, what is easy for you or what is accessible for you, you know, and, and how does that stack up to your clients? But definitely young guys, I think in particular, like I sort of, I mean, I'm in my 40s and, um, and I'm female, obviously, and I sort of laugh when I see advice from guys who are 21. They're like, here's how to lose fat. And I'm like, you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do not even know. Like, let's, you know, let's, let's go hang out with some menopausal women and we'll talk about losing fat, right? So I think you do need to be very compassionate and mindful of like, okay, where you're at, what you can do, and where your clients are at for sure, and not assume that things will necessarily be super easy. You, you obviously work for Precision Nutrition and stuff like that. So what do you think are some of the strategies that some people who, you know, more the clients use to be successful with nutrition? That is such a great question. I, um, I think if I had to say kind of two, like if I can think about the people that have been finalists, um, one is a high degree of conscientiousness and that means they just kept showing up. Like they, they just plugged away and put in the work and followed the instructions that they were given. Like all, you just, it's like, that you just show up for practice every day so that's number one just being con like a basic level of conscientiousness and consistency and the second one is having beginner's mind so they would show up and we would say do this and they wouldn't say oh yeah I already know how to do that or yeah that's boring that's elementary they would say okay mm -hmm. I'm going to do what you tell me and I'm not going to assume that I know more than you mm -hmm. and it's funny because those are such banal things in a way, right? just showing up and doing the work. Like that's literally all it took for these people to be finalists and to be incredibly successful. Uh, so nobody had any special gifts. No one had a, a magical life <laughs> without obstacles. Many people who became our finalists were dealing with all kinds of things like several kids and traveling and crazy jobs and all this kind of stuff. So. Yeah, conscientiousness, consistency, openness, and beginner's mind. Like, literally, that's all it takes. Can you, can you give me maybe a more a detailed description of what you call beginner's mind? Like, I love this idea of beginner's mind. And I actually watched one of your YouTube clips, and you kind of went into a bit of detail. Maybe give me a bit of kind of a deeper understanding of what you mean by beginner's mind. Yeah, so it's, it's basically the idea that every time you show up, you think like a beginner. Even if you're an expert or even if you know something, um, you have that wonderment and openness and kind of humility and willingness to be a blank slate. Mm. Um, and it's like every day is fresh. So, uh, you know, it's almost like you've, 
not that you've forgotten things, but it, you open your mind as if you have, right? As if this is all new and you're hearing it for the first time. Um, and you're not defensive about stuff. You're not like, oh, I already know that. Like you don't, you don't um, get defensive because there's nothing to prove, mm. right? It's like if you imagine what it's like to be doing something on your first day, you just show up and you're like, hey, it's my first day. I'm a dumbass. I don't know anything. And that's very freeing because no one expects anything of you, right? You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to be amazing because everyone knows it's your first day. And if you can carry that first day of school attitude with you everywhere, it's tremendous because now you have nothing to prove. You're not impressing anyone. No one cares what you already know. And you're able to just take in things in a very fresh, immediate, open kind of way. And the cool thing is, it opens you up to and new realizations, you know? And so, you know, in, in a sport, you might be doing a drill that you've done a thousand times and a thousand and one with your beginner's mind, you're like, Oh, I get why this does this thing like this. Like it just kind of cracks open your understanding of things. So not only does it help your practice and kind of just help your mental health, but it also yields a lot of insights, um, you know, and deeper understandings about things. Uh, I, I know this is definitely for myself. One of my weaknesses is, is kind of um, like I love consuming great content. And, uh, and and often I get that moment where, you know, when you when you read a lot of books, there's often a lot of crossover. And, and I, I, I've found myself just using it as a moment to kind of confirm that I'm knowledgeable instead of going, oh, how do I go deeper into this knowledge? And I've really tried to mm -hmm. train myself to catch that moment where I'm just kind of confirming kind of just an ego thing instead of actually trying to go deeper into that understanding. And I love this idea of a beginner's mind because the other thing that's really valuable with it is that you're not afraid to be curious because you're not attached to my level of knowledge. You know, because sometimes when we we don't want to be asking questions that may seem silly because we're attached to this kind of ego slash knowledge that we feel represents ourselves. Yes, absolutely. I th that's so true. And the other advantage is that it lets you be really immediately present mm. with what is happening because you're not having this back conversation in your mind about how much you know or what if people think you want to be an expert. Like you're not having these sort of backstage conversations in your head. You can really just show up and be completely present. So, for example, with client work, you know, you can sit in a client session and really attune and attend to what they're giving you, like from moment to moment, rather than sitting there thinking, oh my God, I hope they don't think I'm dumb. I hope they respect my intelligence. I hope they blah, 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 whatever you need to get out of that, right? In an ego defensive kind of way. Yeah. So it, it makes the world so much more mindful and present and enjoyable, Right, because you can really be in the moment. Mm, mm, yeah, it, it's funny because this in the moment thing, something you know, like I love this idea of how do you be connected to someone in the moment. You know, that's real kind of human connection. But it's something I've been trying to work on with my own exercise recently. So, for example, um, I, I I've discovered I tend to be quite ego driven when I'm exercising. So a lot of you know, I I, I have the ability to push hard. I you know. I've, we've done exercise for years I've done hard things in exercise and I, I do have this ability to push myself hard but a lot of it's about proving myself to you know mm -hmm. myself or to my world or whatever it is and and I'm trying to one thing I'm trying to work on with myself in exercise right now is just being present um, and not needing the ego to be driven or or to be the motivator and, and actually just learning to remove that and be pretty and I, I'll admit it's a bit of a struggle it's something because I'm so installed in this other way of thinking but it's definitely it's a much healthier way to move forward with exercise 
and I'm finding that as I get better at it, the experience offers me so much more. That's a really great way to capture it. And I, I like the word that you used earlier, which is curious, mm. right? And so with this attitude, like when you try to prove yourself, you just shut yourself down completely. You shut yourself down from learning, from expansion as a human being, from growth. Um, but when you have this curiosity attitude and you show up and you're like, okay, what's happening today body-wise? Let's explore mm. the landscape of what is happening today with my body. As you say, it becomes a much different and vastly more pleasurable experience. And, uh, you know, as you age, of course, you, um, <laughs> you can't prove yourself in a lot of ways because your capacity diminishes. And I used to think like, oh, you know, people happens. And so... Like as you age, your body will do stuff that you cannot control. Like things will just happen or they'll just randomly, seemingly break. Mm. And so every day, in a sense, you don't always know what, you can, what to expect. You don't always know how your body will be showing up. And so when you have this exploratory attitude, this curiosity attitude and, and say, okay, what's happening today, body? And um, it just makes the experience so much more awesome you know, and you don't fight things that are happening. And the other upside to that is that if you do have pain or if you do have restrictions or if you do have a day of poor performance, um, it, it weirdly improves it, if that makes sense. So um, if you fight against pain and you're angry about pain and you're pissed off that the pain is there, your pain is worse. Mm. Whereas if you wake up one day and your leg hurts and you don't know why, but you accept it and you allow it and you're like, all right, I guess that's how we're rolling today the pain will often recede. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. So it's like there's another paradox, right? That exploratory attitude paradoxically improves your capacity a lot of the time. And even if it doesn't, you don't care <laughs> because it's what's happening that day. And, 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 and you know, like you'd know in our industry, while we are looked upon as healthy, there's many unhealthy people who work as fitness professionals. And, and often it's because it, that, that is a really good example is that in that moment where their body's telling them, no, this isn't the right choice. That's so attached to something that's actually and leads them to negative behaviors. Um, you know, working through injury, you know, eating poorly, but more in a, a too restrictive way, you know, and all those types of things that actually are really unhealthy behaviors that, you know, aren't healthy even in the long term. Yeah. And this is one reason why uh, in our level two coaching certification program, I designed it so that it's half about improving the coaches mental health and yeah. half about working with clients because you really have to whole complete evolved person as a coach to work with clients successfully mm. I think mm. and and that requires a lot of work on yourself and kind of recognizing your own tendencies your own habits and and also having compassion for yourself because this industry can make people kooky yeah and and you know it's, yeah. like I think no. 90 98% of people listening to this if you're in the fitness industry uh, have had some moments of kookiness of one type or another. And it's not that you suck, it's that this is a weird kind of world sometimes. Mm. And so um, you really do need to devote some attention to yourself and your own growth and mental and emotional health, even, even if it's as simple as keeping yourself physically capable and avoiding burnout or avoiding overtraining. Mm. Never mind, of course, all the interpersonal stuff. So you really have to attend to that. You know, you can't just assume like, uh, you know, because I, I can knock out a really good CrossFit workout or I can run 20 kilometers, 
that that makes me healthy. It, it doesn't. There's, it's almost like on a coach, there's more burden to work harder on your own personal growth. Mm. So if this is what you've signed up for, <laughs> it's more challenging than you might expect. Right? It, ain't, it ain't just about doing those press-ups. Hey, um, what, what, are, what are your struggles? You know, like, like, obviously, this is more in fitness, but, you know, like often people look upon people like yourself and, you know, other fitness professionals and, and think, you know, they just got it easy. But it's also nice to show that we have our own kind of little battles within ourselves. What, what, do you, what are the aspects of your fitness life that you find most challenging? And, and how do you try to succeed in those areas? Man, I, I feel like I've had every issue that, that can be had. <laughs> you know, over, over 20 years, I think I've given myself every major gym injury you could get and some of the even more ridiculous ones. And, um, but I, I think, I mean, there's, there's been lots, but one of the biggest ones has certainly been aging mm. because if you train for a long time, especially if you started when you were younger, um, you have a benchmark. And so you have a recollection of that way. Um, and so that becomes kind of tricky if you're not willing to accept the passage of time. Um, and so you can sometimes get into this downward spiral of like, oh, how come I can't blah, 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 because I used to. Well, <laughs> that's just how it is. So I think aging is, is definitely one. And I've, I've come to terms with it. And I, and I actually embrace it at this stage. But that was a bit of a, a weird mental thing. Um, certainly issues around my own body composition, my own body presentation. You know, I really actually have lived in almost every body. Like I've lived in an obese body. I've lived in a super lean body. I've lived in all these different bodies. Um, and finding that sweet spot of like physical mental health has been uh, certainly uh, a challenge. Um, and also injury and chronic pain, you know. Um, I think it's hard to escape 20 years of training without having some kind of injury. Um, and then also, um, you know, my family, we, we're like, I, I say that we're the autoimmune disease family. So everyone's got some kind of inflammation that we're all walking around with. And so there are some chronic pain things. Um, you know, uh, my hip has just decided, you know what, we're just going to be sore for like a year, right? And so um, one of the struggles is just coming to terms with limitations mm. of your own body that you really can't control. Like some you can control, right? Some problems you can solve. But there's often a, a moment where you're forced to confront whether it's chronic pain, whether it's a, an, an injury, whether it's an illness, whether it's whatever. Um, you often have to confront less than ideal performance and function in your own body. I think that's a real head trip um, for a lot of people in the fitness industry. And then, you know, eating stuff. I've been very open about that. Um, weight cutting for grappling several years ago uh, touched off some real insanity, um, you know, which has since been resolved. But I think I've, I kind of covered the basis of like all the weird things that can happen to your head uh, in the industry for sure. I think the one, the one that I have not had, which I think a lot of athletes struggle with is because I was never an athlete, I never performed at an elite level. I never had to deal with the loss and the grief that retire mm. a lot of the time they're forced to retire you know from an injury and that can happen like in a millisecond like literally a millisecond <laughs> it can can divide your career right mm. um so i've never had to deal with that but I, I think it's definitely something a lot of people who were athletes will have to face 
Well, just, just going back to the ageing one, what helped you get to the place where you could accept age? Because that is a big one, isn't it? Especially, you know, like I'm coming up 40, you know, it's a kind of, um, particularly in the fitness industry if you work in the industry because it's such a kind of a young person's game in some ways. Um, but even just for people who aren't in the fitness industry, ageing is, is always a, a challenge to accept and it seems that you've kind of worked your way through that to a point where you're quite comfortable in the fact that you're ageing and, and what comes with that. Were there things that helped? Yeah, definitely. I, I think one of them is just being forced to accept. Like there comes this crossroads where you realize, okay, either I can keep kicking and screaming against something that's inevitable and I can keep, like I had moments of, of literally crying in my basement gym on the floor because I don't know, something happened. I don't know. I sprung something and I was like, poor me. <laughs> and it's cold. And I'm like lying on my basement floor having a, having a weeping fit. And so you do come to this crossroads where you, you have the choice. You can keep crying and flailing and fighting against this or you can say all right this is this is reality as it's showing up today mm -hmm. so i think one of the things is just kind of like direct confrontation but another thing is working with people who are close to my age and so i have a great group of friends and fitness buddies that i train with who are kind of all around the same age uh whether that's sort of like you know between late 30s to approaching 50 mm -hmm. and so that normalizes it, right? Because yeah. we're all doing stuff and someone's like, oh, my knee. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I'm like, can we have extra warm up and, you know, whatever, right? And, and so, you know, one of the women, you know, can't run because she pees because she's had three kids. And, yeah, you know, yeah, it's just yeah. like this, I joke that we're like this bag of broken toys, right? So I think that being around other people who are like you really helps normalize. And this is one thing I always say to people who are considering entering the fitness industry who are maybe – a little bit worried that they're not, you know, quote unquote, perfect, like either they're older or they're a little more, um, you know, just not an athlete or, or whatever they feel is different about them. I'm like, no, 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 we need you. Mm. Because if I go to my trainer and they're 60 and they're able to give me a realistic appraisal of what that reality is like living in that body, that to me is far more motivating and far more helpful, far more inspiring than, you know, someone who's 19 and is you know, bulletproof at that point. So I actually really, really encourage people who uh, are not superheroes to get into the fitness industry because it's very, very helpful to to see reality for those of us who might, you know, not have a correct idea of what it involves. Hmm. Uh, I've got one last question for you. Um, when, when you think of the impact you have, what would you like that to be? Oh my God, what a, what a huge question. We're, we're, we're tackling the big questions here. If I think of the impact, you know, I, I think I would just, I always say that my, my job is to just get people unstuck. Mm. I don't necessarily help people. I don't offer people unstuck because uh, people often come to us stuck and fixed and going around in a little tight circle around the same tree over and over and over again. And all I do is just kind of give them a little flick or a little nudge just to get the ball rolling in a different direction. And then their own capacities, their own inner resources. I mean, I have this huge faith in like humans' innate resourcefulness and resilience. Then that just takes over, right? And all I do is maybe just kind of nudge the ball in a different direction a few times. And it rolls on its own, which is pretty cool. So... Yeah, I just unstick people. And so I would be completely happy to <laughs> have my 
legacy. You know, on my tombstone be written, she got people unstuck. <laughs> nice. uh, I, I think it's a great, I, I love that tune. It's really, it's, it's awesome. Hey, uh, if people want to kind of catch up with what you do, Crystal, where, where do they go and all that kind of stuff? Give us your info. Well, they can find me on Facebook. There's a couple of Krista Scott Dixons on Facebook. Like there's, there's my page and then there's sort of my, my uh, professional profile. So you can follow me on either one of those. You can find me on Twitter uh, as at Stumptuous. Uh, the website is Stumptuous.com or PrecisionNutrition.com. Um, Stumptuous is S-T-U-M-P-T-U-O-U-S.com. And then, of course, PrecisionNutrition.com. You can find me there as well. So there's lots of places to, to locate me. You can just Google me and I'm sure... <laughs> Lots of useful things will come up. Great. And I'll put links to all those on the show notes for this episode. Krista, you've been an absolute star. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, just keep up doing what you're Keep unstucking people. You know, like, uh, you know, like, it's, you know, like it is often just you give that people that little bit of a nudge and, uh, and amazing things can happen. And, and it, like obviously the work you do and, and the energy you've given to the world is obviously having a massive impact. So keep up the good work. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, now you can go do your training. <laughs> Well, thanks for having me. Awesome, mate. Great. Righto, team. So that is my interview with Krista Scott Dixon. Now, her websites, I'll put all the links to all of her websites, uh, I'm sorry, Precision Nutrition and Scrumptious, I think it is, .com. But all of her websites, all her links, you can just go to bevanjamesisles.com and they'll be on there with you know for you to check out if you want to kind of see more of her work. Um, yeah, I think she's got a podcast herself. So if you go to her website, there's a podcast there herself, and she's interviewed some pretty cool people. So check out Krista, guys. Uh, again, if you want to be a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesisles.com. You know who you are, those patrons out there who support my work. I really, really appreciate it, and it really does make a big difference to what I'm doing. One thing I am going to start working on over the next period of time is I'm going to put an online course together. Now, it probably won't, you probably won't see it until early next year because it's going to take a lot of work, but I do want to put a course together and I'm kind of determining right now what's the kind of area that I want to target. But, you know, so just list, you know, look out for that. And, and if you haven't known, I do have a book. I don't really promote it enough through the work that I do, but I have a book uh, called The Fitness Attitude. If you like this show, you'll probably like the book. You can get that on Amazon through the Kindle store, or if you're in New Zealand, just go to my website and you can get it through there in the actual physical copy there. And lastly, if you haven't checked out my video podcast, you can go to YouTube and uh, just do a search for Bevan James Isles and you can subscribe for that on YouTube. Um, just just want to reinforce one of the messages that Krista had in the interview. I, th- I thought she had some really good insight and you can tell she's someone who's thought long and hard and spent a lot of time helping people in her life. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, I really enjoyed her interview, but I, I love this kind of, you know, and it's stuff we probably know anyway, but it's really important to reinforce this stuff, this whole idea of the why behind the why. Like really what, you know, like one of the hardest thing in getting people to exercise is to help them to find the motivation. Like I think deep down, we all understand that we should exercise. But what's going to be the thing that really helps you figure that out? And it's interesting if you really start to think of the why behind the why. I remember years ago a friend of mine had this kind of, the six whys. I can't remember if it was six, but it was kind of like this theory he had. You kind of say, well, 
do you exercise and them no or, or do you want to exercise yes and then you, you kind of ask them well why do you want to exercise and so oh, you know I want to lose some weight well, why do you want to lose some weight and well you know um and it you know you get to the point where it's a mother who's embarrassed when they pick the kid up from school because they're overweight you know and, and that's a motivator that kind of that shame moment's a motivator or it might be that um, for a mother in a more positive light is to say I want to be a role model to my kids that says health is important and just this whole idea of to really figure out the why is a really good thing to understand because you know there's the levels of motivation and it's such a big scale that we can think about and and ultimately I think the most satisfying place in your life is where that motivation is like you know when you just do it like I love the idea of these moments in our life where we give everything we've got to try to achieve something you know like you've, you've there's been no stone that hasn't been unturned and and that's a really hard place to maintain and it takes a high level of motivation and, and to be honest in my whole entire life I've probably experienced that place maybe four to five times where it, like literally I'm, I'm exploring every option to be successful in that area and I find that place really stimulating and then there's you know there's lower lower levels kind of moving back from that place but I think ultimately we've got to go well what's the level of motivation I need to keep me at a level that I'm satisfied with in my life and that's the hard thing for motivation it's such an individual thing like for me to be able to tell you what motivates me doesn't mean it's going to motivate you and it's probably it's highly unlikely that it will and vice versa but if you are exploring within yourself this whole idea of what are my true motivations in my life right now because motivation will shift as time goes on. But what is my real motivation in my life right now? If, if you can really kind of spark that flame, well then the, the behavior and the actions that follow that moment kind of become a lot easier. You know, the, the you know you are unturning stones that you haven't overturned because you want to kind of grow in that area. And it's often that, you know, like for, to do exercise without motivation or to do any new behavior without motivation, it, it can be done, but it takes a lot of work and it's a lot more effort. Whereas if you can find that kind of, that real core motivation first, it's probably a more successful, easier way to move forward. So just, just some stuff to think about there. Anyway, I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks for this episode. I'll tell you what, my next video podcast, the one I'm doing, I'll be releasing that in this Monday, so I release this on Monday, let me pull up my little calendar here, Monday, I release this podcast on Monday the 11th of July 2016, now some of you may be listening to this years in the future, and I'm sure on Monday the 11th of July in 2016, you are having the most amazing day of your life, but on Monday the 18th of July in 2016, I'm going to be releasing a video podcast, which I think is pretty cool, I haven't completed it yet, but I have to admit, I think it's it's got some really cool stuff in there that can really help people think about things so if you haven't checked out my video podcast you can go to bevanjamesisles.com and you can check them out there anyway guys um if you want to email me go to bevanjamesisles or bevanjames at gmail other than that you guys have a wicked couple weeks and i can't wait to hear how you've gone in my challenge from the last show i'll see you guys later